Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Separating facts from fiction. We're going to repeal it and replace it, and and it'll be great health care for much less money. We can have the benefits that were promised to them without any change whatsoever. But if we keep kicking the can down the road, keep digging the hole deeper, burying that deficit more, that's much harder to keep that kind of a commitment. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Assistant's calling from Kansas City, Missouri. Marsha from Pittsburgh. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy, just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Our producer today, Mr. Ron Moore. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. By the way, um, you can go to our Facebook page, which is under two different names. The first one is Carrie, C-A-R-Y, Hall, or the second one, America's Healthcare Advocate. They converge, but for some reason, when we originally started this thing, we had to have two names up there. So anyway, like us on Facebook. Shows are posted up there. Videos are up there. Our summer video series is launching. Um, it's going to feature all kinds of uh, information on pet health. We're talking about everything from parvovirus to what you should ask if you're adopting a pet from a shelter or what you should ask if you're buying a pet from a breeder. So there's a whole ton of information up there. Um, th- those new videos are just launched, uh, and you'll be seeing them um, on the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Lots of information up there as well. And you can call. Now, if you are an employer or an individual and you're looking for Medicare or health insurance or you're an employer looking for health care or health insurance and you've got a problem or you just want some advice, um, 877-385-2224. We are happy to help you. By the way, the old phone number is back. For those of you that heard the last couple of shows when I was giving out a different number, we have the old phone number back. So all is well. 877-385-2224. Operators are standing by. They will take your information. I will get back to you after the broadcast. So if I can help you anywhere in the country on health insurance issues, please feel free to get on the phone. Give us a call or go to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Send me an email if you've got questions. I will be happy uh, to answer them if I can do anything to help you. All right, so what are we going to do today? Well, this is going to be one of our potpourri or potluck shows, if you will. I'm going to cover a host of topics today, Um, and, and these are just things that I see that I think are relevant for the discussion about what's going on with healthcare, health insurance in this country. So today's the day that I'm going to go through a whole host of these kinds of topics and talk about everything from surprise medical bills um, and and what are those all about uh, to, you know, short-term insurance that was uh, uh, branded junk insurance by um, the Democrats. We'll talk about that as well. I'm going to talk about public unions versus the single-payer system. Um, What about that? Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff today, uh, and and I'm going to give you a little update on Medicare for all. Um, now that the debates are over, um, I think it's a topic that uh, we need to update and chat about. So we'll do that as well. So let's start off with um, the discussion about surprise medical bills. What are surprise medical bills? Well, these are bills that 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 people get typically for emergency room services. Um, anesthetic services, those kinds of things. 
um, where contract doctors are used that are not part of the network. So you go in and have a surgical procedure. We've had this happen countless times with clients of ours, and I'm going to use that as an example. You have a surgical procedure, and they bring in an anesthesiologist. And, of course, you know before you have a surgery, usually the anesthesiologist comes in and tells you about anesthesia and yada, yada, yada. But they don't tell you that they're not a network doctor or the hospital doesn't tell you they're bringing in out-of-network anesthesiologist. And lo and behold, you have your gallbladder removed, you have your bypass, whatever it may be, and you get a bill for eight or nine or $10,000 saying that you owe the anesthesiologist. The same thing happens when people go to the ER because a lot of hospitals are using contract doctors um, when, when, uh, when we're talking about ER services. And then you get a bill. And they tell you, you are responsible for it. Well, I have fought this fight a number of times, more than I care to count, for a lot of different patients um, or clients of ours that were patients either of uh, an ER or, or a, um, uh, uh, an anesthesiology situation. There are other situations that occur as well. Do not pay the bill. That's right. I said do not pay the bill. The first thing you need to do is notify the hospital that you um, had health insurance. The health insurance showed that this hospital was in network and that you expect this to be paid and handled by the hospital. And you do that verbally and that's fine, but you can also do it. I also strongly suggest you do it in email and or letter form. And frankly, what I've had uh, clients go through the situation, um, I've helped them draft the email and the letter and done both. Um, and sent the email read receipt so I know they got it in the billing office and sent the letter either certified um, uh, or, or, or uh, you know, Federal Express or something so I know there was no question about them getting the letter. And basically, you're going to tell them this. I'm not paying the bill. Um, I had legitimate insurance at your hospital. No one informed me that this was going to be an out-of-network service, and therefore, um, I'm not going to pay it. Uh, it's up to you to resolve this issue with the insurance carrier and your doctor. It's not up to me. And the other thing you want to make sure you tell them is do not turn me over to any collection service or in any way damage my credit or I will file a complaint against you, the hospital. Um, and so how would you do that? So if the hospital ignores you, and this does happen from time to time, um, th there are two things you can do. Number one, go to the medical licensing um, agency for that particular state. Is it the, uh, you know, what board certifies the hospitals and the doctors? File a complaint. Okay, they have a complaint form just like every other agency does. File a complaint. Number two, go to your attorney general's office and the Consumer Protection Division and file a complaint there with the attorney general. Now, I strongly suggest if you decide you know, you're going to do something like this, um, that in the information that you send them, uh, when you send this to the hospital, that you include that information in there, that if they don't resolve this, you're going to file a complaint with the medical arts board or, or, and or the attorney general, whatever the name of that particular agency is in your state that licenses doctors and hospitals. Because this is something that is not the responsibility uh, of, of the patient, not the responsibility of the policyholder. If you have a legitimate health insurance policy, all right, and you are taken by ambulance to a hospital, first of all, <laughs> any hospital that accepts, if you have health insurance and they accept you through the ER, that insurance company is responsible to pay that bill and they will pay it. This problem is not the insurance company here. The problem is the hospitals. Um, and, and people get scared and they think they're going to have to pay this bill. And sometimes these bills can be, we've had them as high as fifteen to $17,000. And we have fought the fight with the hospital. And, uh, you know, there was a hospital here in Kansas City, uh, which shall go unnamed, um, <clears throat> where I had a client go in. 
Um, he had a surgical procedure done. He had complications. He, he specifically asked when he had the surgical procedure done. He went in through an ER, and it was appendectomy, and this was an older gentleman. And then there were complications, but he specifically asked when he was in the hospital, um, after he'd had the surgery, he had the, the billing people come up and he said, is everything covered under my health insurance? And he had a Blue Cross and Blue Shield plan, and he was told yes. And then he got a series of bills saying, no, it wasn't covered. You know, we used to contract anesthesiologists, blah, 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 blah. Well, I got on the phone with the hospital um, after this occurred, and I sent them a letter and said, we're not going to pay it. Um, and I want you to understand why. Um, and at the end of the day, long story short, they ate the bill and they worked it out with the anesthesiologist. So it's not your responsibility to pay it. Surprise medical bills are not something that, that, that you should um, have to deal with. This is something that President Trump um, is working on. And it's my understanding that there is going to be some um, uh, legislation, uh, executive order or, or some type of uh, something coming out of uh, health and Human Services is going to put a stop to this because it is clearly wrong for people that have health insurance to get slapped with these surprise bills because the hospitals are holding down their costs by hiring contract doctors or contract anesthesiologists so they don't have to put them on payroll, pay benefits, and do all the rest of it, and then stick you with the bill. So to recap that, if you get one of these, number one, notify them in writing, either through email um, or letter or both, okay, that you're not going to pay it. And there's nothing wrong with calling, but people, it doesn't work on he said, she said. It needs to be done in writing. Advise them you're not going to pay it and that they need to get it resolved. And also make sure your insurance company is aware. And if you have a health insurance broker, that should that broker should step in here and help you do this and be your advocate. So um, that surprise medical bills, that's what I wanted to talk about in the opening segment. Um, if you have questions about that or we can help you with anything regarding that, you can go to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. When I come back from the break, we'll start talking about some of the other issues that are out there. Uh, uh, for instance, how about that one that is being called junk health insurance for short-term health insurance policies? We'll tell you uh, why those may work for you and they may be a good solution. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. If you want information, once again, the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you've got questions, send me an email or you can call 877-385-2224. Stay tuned. I'll be right back with more here on America's Healthcare Advocate. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast here across the USA on the HIA radio network. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Also, our Facebook page goes by the same name, America's Healthcare Advocate. And um, you can call if you have questions. I can help you with something. If you're looking for health insurance, if you're an employer out there and you're getting slapped and you're struggling with the cost, you're an individual looking for Medicare or some other type of coverage, uh, feel free to give us a call, 877-385-2224. We would be happy to help you um, wherever you may be in the country if you just want some advice. Um, I had a group call me from Illinois the other day that just wanted to talk uh, uh, through a situation 
uh, and it turned out to be something that uh, they shouldn't do. <laughs> and we made that clear to them and helped them out. So if we can help you, once again, the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. My producer, Ron Moore, I'm your host, Gary Hall. This is your show, and we are talking to you today about a whole series of different topics. We just talked about surprise medical bills. When you get these surprise bills, I just advised everyone what to do with those, starting with don't pay it. Okay. Now we're going to talk about junk health insurance. This comes out of the Wall Street Journal. It was uh, an article that was published in May, May 20th, actually, um, in the Wall Street Journal. I'm just going to read the first paragraph here. House Democrats last week voted to reverse the Trump administration rule that left uh, that the left has branded as promoting junk insurance. So note the vote arrives at the same week as a fresh analysis of how short-term health insurance can be a better option than Obamacare. Let me explain. Okay. So the, uh, one of the last closing acts as, as the Obama administration turned out the lights um, and, and, and left uh, the administration uh, was the, was put in place uh, for short-term policies, which always ran for a year. You could always buy a short-term policy um, well, on an annual basis. Well, what happened was then-Secretary of Health and Human Services wrote a rule that said it was only good for 90 days, which meant every 90 days you had to renew, right? What a pain. Well, that was the whole idea. So now along comes the Trump administration, and they put back in play the fact that you can have a health insurance policy on short-term policy, and I'll explain those in a minute, and you can have it for the entire year. So carriers now like Blue Cross are offering um, these policies across the country um, uh, for folks. And why why are they offering them and why might they be a better, better alternative? Let me explain. Number one, they cost significantly less. So let me give an example. Um, $467 a month uh, typically uh, would be a cost for a 40-year-old male, um, and a short-term policy for that same uh, 40-year-old male uh, in this in this um, article is quoted as $250. That's pretty significant savings, about $217 if I'm doing the math right. So having said that, um, when is it appropriate to look at a short-term policy? Well, if you're not getting a subsidy on an ACA, your policy very you know may be outrageously expensive. And we had a number of people who simply can't afford them. Okay, so so they don't they don't buy health insurance because they go without, or they go do the crowdfunding thing with MediShare, and I'll talk about that uh, here shortly as well. But it. it the short-term policies, the advantages of them are they are significantly less money, as much as 30 to 50% less um, than the ACA policies if you're not getting a subsidy. Secondly, they are real health insurance. They're not junk insurance, okay? They're real health insurance with real networks. So I use the Blue Cross policy as an example. The Blue Cross short-term policy um, here in the Kansas City metro in 32 counties that this Blue Cross serves um, is is basically a health insurance policy that covers catastrophic illness that also now has a limited prescription drug benefit and a doctor office copay. So let's say you have a surgical procedure and maybe the out-of-pocket on the policy with deductible out-of-pocket is $3,500. Well, that's probably a lot better than the ACA out-of-pockets, which are as high as seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars depending on the policies. So they're significantly less. They are real health insurance. They are network negotiated policies, meaning you walk into a hospital for a surgical procedure and you put your Blue Cross card down and you're going to get admitted and you're going to have care because that's a legitimate Blue Cross and Blue Shield policy. So why are the Democrats calling these junk insurance? Because 
They're giving people an alternative to Obamacare. And you remember the idea of Obamacare was to shove everybody into the Obamacare pool, and the young people were going to subsidize the premiums on the older people or those of us that are chronologically challenged and have medical issues. Well, unfortunately, that really hasn't worked all that well, which is why we've seen all the carriers, with the exception of a few like Centene, um, pull out of the marketplace. And and companies like Centene are, are... huge in this space, but they only service, they only want to service people that are getting subsidies. They will tell you that's their market. That's what they're going after. Okay. Well, they're taking advantage of the marketplace. I get that. But what happens to all the people out there that cannot afford because they're not getting a subsidy, an eight, nine, 12, 14, $1,500 a month policy uh, for their family? Well, these short-term policies offer a tremendous opportunity for people to get real health insurance at a much lower cost. So why, why, why is it being called junk insurance? Because they don't like the fact that it offers an alternative to ACA and Obamacare, and it gives people a chance to buy a legitimate health insurance policy that is significantly less. Now, what are the pitfalls for this? Well, number one, it is underwritten. So if you've got cancer, if you're a type 1 diabetic or a type 2 diabetic, you're not going to get this policy. So one of the reasons why they're able to keep the cost down is because they don't. it's not universal coverage. Those are the people that are typically going on the Obamacare policies, the ACA policies, all right? One of the reasons why the pool... Uh, you know, is not performing particularly well in a lot of places because it's loaded with a lot of people that have uh, issues and there are, and the younger people that should be going in in their grand scheme of things to subsidize this thing with their premiums simply aren't signing up. Okay, and the other fear is that now these short-term policies are out there that people are going to start migrating to the short-term policies. So this is also a tremendous alternative, people. If you are on one of those Christian MediShare policies, they are not health insurance. I'm not telling you anything they're not saying. It's right in their material. They are not health insurance. They are crowdfunding, basically, okay, for healthcare. They do have networks now. They have some negotiated networks. PHCS, I believe, is one of them. I don't know what their discounts are or how well they're working. I did see uh, a number of different articles in New York Times and the Wall Street Journal over the last several months that were examples of people that had those policies where claims were not getting paid, okay? They were, they were turning in their bills, and the MediShare people were coming back and saying, sorry, we're not covering it. And here's the problem with that. They are not subject to the State Department of Insurance regulations because they're not selling health insurance, all right? So they can deny you, and there is no appeal process like there is under these short-term policies, an example, or any other health insurance policy sold by a health insurance carrier licensed in your particular state. So there is the big downfall and the big Achilles heel of these Christian MediShare-type programs. So if you're on one of those, and you're on it because they cost a lot less money, and they do, you might want to take a look at a short-term policy and get real health insurance. It could make a tremendous difference for you. All right, if we can help you with anything, go to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Send me an email. We'll be happy to chat with you. We'll be back after break. I'll give you an update on Medicare for All. What's that going to look like? Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network coast to coast across the USA.
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. You can also call if you have questions, and we can help you, 877-385-2224. The old number is back, 877-385-2224. We are happy to help you anywhere in the country with any problem you have regarding health care or health insurance, uh, please feel free to give us a call. Also up on the website, our summer video series is up there on pet care. We are now doing a lot of pet care shows. We're talking about everything from parvovirus to how to adopt a pet properly and the questions you need to ask if you're doing that. So that whole series is going to run over the summer on the website, um, on our Facebook page, America's Healthcare Advocate, etc. So check it all out. It's all up there. All right, let's do a little update here on Medicare for All. The debates are, the, the first round of the Democrat debates are over. Um, and basically where we're at is we've got Kamala Harris, Mayor Pete, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, um, and Cory Booker all ready to go with Medicare for All. Uh, uh, and, and Medicare, and we'll talk about what that means here in a minute, but, the, but they are clearly... Um, endorsing Medicare for all and have clearly stated that that will be the end of private health insurance. So 170 million Americans who are on private employer-sponsored health care, of which 83% when surveyed say they are more than happy with, they like their health insurance, are going to lose it um, if one of these people becomes president and puts through the, the agenda they want. Um, which is Medicare for all. So do, you know, and, and I know a lot of people immediately go, you know, that's never going to happen. I, I get this all the time. Uh, and I get it from from people that are Democrats and liberals um, who, who may support a lot of other issues that these people are talking about, but this is the one they don't support. Well, let me remind you of something, people. Um, when we started this Obamacare legacy, that, I, that was never going to happen either. And then the perfect storm happened, and we got Obamacare. And look what it did to the individual insurance marketplace. It destroyed it. You're down to maybe three carriers across the country now, okay? It ruined the marketplace for individual health insurance, all under um, the guise of this preexisting condition issue, which is just that, a guise, a red herring, a lot of baloney, okay? But that will save for another discussion on another day. But having said that, so who are some of the moderates and what are they saying? Well, you've got Amy Koblocker saying that we should go to a public option. Uh, and, and, and let me tell you how the public option works. That means that the government will compete with the insurance companies. Okay. So let's say they do that um, on the individual health insurance uh, platform, which is where they originally talked about doing it when they passed ACA Obamacare. And that part got knocked out. It got knocked out um, in the Senate and it never, it was never made it into the bill. That was, that was one of the supposed compromises. Well, if we go to public option, it is only a matter of time until we become Medicare for all, because once the government gets its foot in the door, this is exactly what happens now. And I'll take you back. Okay. You know, Barney Frank said, we get the door open with ACA, we'll kick it open to take over the entire healthcare system over a period of time. You, you must understand something about the people that are proposing this. They are patient, um, although they're pushing it now, but I mean, they're not going to stop and they're not going to let up because they want to take over the healthcare uh, in this country and want to have it run by the federal government. And that's the Medicare for all. So, now we know it's been endorsed. The one candidate who really seems to have a chance to win, assuming he can keep his foot out of his mouth, Uncle Joe Biden, hasn't endorsed Medicare for All yet. We'll see what he does. 
So if we go to Medicare for all, let me just kind of recap what that's going to mean. Okay, and this is off of several studies that have been done by different think tanks, um, some of the government agencies where the Democrats ask for um, the agencies to come back and talk about what's it going to cost. Um, OMB came back and said that anywhere between $23 billion and $37 billion, um, $23 billion was the low end, $37 was the high number. Um, and uh, in most of the other studies that we have looked at, um, we're talking somewhere around $32.6 trillion over a 10-year period. So where is that money going to come from? Um, well, uh, as I've said in this broadcast before, Escazio uh, cortez uh, has got this part right. That's what taxes are for. So here's what the taxes would look like in order to pay for this. Um, 31% new payroll tax. These are not my numbers, okay? These are numbers that are coming out of OMB and numbers that are coming out of um, other think tanks that have studied this issue. So 31% uh, new payroll tax, a 72% VAT tax, 72% VAT tax, value-added tax, and a 35% income tax. That is what the cost of this is the, the, the tax cost of this is going to be. You're going to be turning over that much more money to the federal government. Now, the counter argument to that that Bernie, Barney Frank used on stage for the debates um, and, and uh, was discussed by Elizabeth Warren and some of the other folks was, well, you're going to save health insurance premiums and out-of-pocket costs. Well, if you go to Barney Frank's website, he says – that um, you will save an average of about $5,200 a year, between $4,700, I believe, I'm doing this from memory, uh, to $5,200 a year. I assure you that a 31% payroll tax, a 72% VAT tax, and a 35% increase in income taxes is going to come to significantly more than $5,200 a year for the middle class in America. And let's be clear about something. While, you know, Bernie Sanders likes to say the rich are going to pay for it, and Elizabeth Warren likes to say Wall Street's going to pay for it, and we're going to tax stock transactions, we're going to do this. You can tax till hell freezes over um, uh, on the wealthy and on stock transactions, the rest of it, and you're not going to pay $32.6 trillion. I want to see the study that shows you're going to be able to turn over $32.6 trillion to take this thing over and make it work. And oh, by the way, just, just think about this, Okay. What other government program are you that happy with that is administered by the federal government? I'll give you an example. How about Medicare? So I'm being overcharged on my Medicare Part B premiums to the tune of $436 a month. All right? So I filed an appeal. I had to go through a process, get the appeal, file the document. When I went to follow up on the appeal with uh, uh, Medicare on the other day, to, it's been in for three weeks. They can't find it in their system anywhere. So now what I'm probably going to have to do is go back down to the Medicare office and sit there for two hours, okay, to get them to adjust my Part B premium after I supplied them with documentation showing them what it should be based on earnings, okay. I'll probably get to go down and sit down there for another two to three hours and see if I can get somebody to correct this issue. Uh, you know, understand what you're dealing with, people, and, and, and believe me. The people at Social Security are very nice people. When I've gone down to meet with them, uh, all the people that I've worked that have that, that helped me get my Social Security in place, I just turned 70, you know, they were nice people. Uh, but you're dealing with a giant government system. And if one thing goes wrong, this appeal process, I was told, well, you know, what they'll do is they'll self-adjust it in, 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 in two years. Okay, so I'm going to keep paying uh, a 300 and some dollar uh, inflated premium for another two years to wait till you adjust it. And when I ask the question, will I get the money back? Sometimes, 
is what I was told. Sometimes. Sometimes they refund it and sometimes they don't. Okay? You know, I'll give you another example. When I got my, my Social Security benefits, I went down and I spent the three hours, and it was three hours, at the Social Security Administration office, even though I had an appointment. That's how long it took, okay, by the time I got through and got out. Well, when the gentleman that was doing it, nice guy, entered the direct deposit information, he got one digit wrong on the bank account. Well, I didn't get paid. So I started a series of phone calls. I spent several hours on the phone. Finally was told, we can't help you over the phone. You have to go down in person. I did that. Got a lovely lady again who was very helpful. Showed her the original information, everything. She said, yeah, he transposed one number um, in the, in the, uh, in, on your bank account, and that's why it was wrong. She said, we'll have the money in there. This was on a Friday. She said, we'll have the money in there on a Wednesday. That was two weeks ago. I'm still waiting. Now I got a letter the other day saying that since you changed your bank account, I didn't change anything, okay? They made a mistake that I might get it uh, by the 17th of July. (laughs) Uh, So this is what I'm saying, people. It's not, I'm not not throwing rocks at the people that work at Social Security. Uh, They're probably overburdened and underpaid if I had to guess. But having said that, what I am saying is it's a gigantic system run by the federal government. So how am I equating that to Medicare for all? Okay, so now I need an MRI, okay, or I need a surgery and they lose the paperwork, or they get it wrong, or I show up and there's a problem uh, at the hospital, whatever the case may be, and I got to go back through the process again. How long do you think that's going to take? Yeah, I know people have trouble with insurance companies, but there's a difference. You can go find a different insurance company. You can cancel the policy, okay? You can go find a different health insurance broker. You can appeal to the Department of Insurance. Try doing that in a situation like I just described. There is no way to appeal Social Security. They are the final authority, okay? And they make the decision. And if they get it fixed, they get it fixed. And if they don't, you live with it. And that's the way that it works. And that's my point, folks. That's the thing you need to understand when you're considering Medicare for all. I'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. My producer, Mr. Ron Moore, I'm your host, Kerry Hall. We're going to wrap it up in this segment, uh, talking about several issues. We just finished talking about Medicare for All. I'm going to give you a little update on the opposition to this now. We'll talk about that for a few minutes. But if you have questions on health insurance, if you're an employer, if you're an individual, if you're somebody that's chronologically challenged looking at Medicare, um, 877-385-2224 is our toll-free number. The operators are always there to take your call. Um, If you have questions, they are happy to help you. Um, Additionally, uh, you can go to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Send me an email. Go to the Facebook page. Uh, People connect with me up there, the Facebook America's Healthcare Advocate. 
Um, I am happy to help you if I can. Summer Series of Videos is up there. It's on Pet Care. Um, if you want to take a look at that, uh, feel free to do that. A lot of things going on in the summer with your pets you need to know about, so you can do that. All right, so let's go back to this topic a little, for a few minutes. Um, so I've told you who's for it. You've heard the Democrats in the, in the debate that say that they're going to endorse, they're endorsing this, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, you know, the, the godfather of Medicare for All, Bernie Sanders, um, Cory Booker, go down the list. You've got Amy Koblocker going, well, why don't we just do a public option? And as I said in the other segment, that's just opening the door uh, to get the government to a point where they can um, uh, control health care in this country. So who is opposed to this? Well, I told you before, you know, when we had the ACA debate, the hospitals and the doctors sat on the sidelines and let the insurance companies get rocks thrown at them. And the insurance companies, you know, a lot of them bought into this and they did some really stupid things. And I'm not an apologist for the insurance companies and not an apologist for the insurance industry. They made a lot of mistakes. That's why you've seen them all pull out, including people like Aetna, after Mr. Bertolini, uh, who is the CEO of Aetna, talked about what a great thing it was going to be and how they were in a mission to make sure they stayed in the marketplace and serve people and all the rest of it. And then lo and behold, Aetna no longer does individual health insurance, along with a whole lot of other carriers, by the way. Um, not singling them out. I'm just saying that's the way it works. So so who's opposed to this? So let's talk about that. Well, this is out of the Wall Street Journal, and this is kind of interesting. It's public unions versus single payer. I'm going to read a paragraph here. Progressives in New York are pushing a single-payer legislation they claim will reduce health care costs and improve care. But not even their friends in the public unions are buying it. As labor leaders now all too well know, government control inevitably leads to higher costs and higher taxes and lower quality of service. New York State's Senate and Assembly held a hearing Tuesday to consider legislation that would put the state in charge of health benefits for 8.6 million residents. What do you know? The loudest opponents were union officials who howled that the bill would undermine collective bargaining, raise costs, and lead to rationing lead to rationing. Now, you hear that out of the Heritage Foundation and you hear that out of, you know, various other think tanks. Now you're hearing it from unions, okay? Public employee unions. So, uh, my, my point here is this, all right? Uh, there are going to be so there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of loud opposition to Medicare for all and the charge is probably going to be led by the hospitals because you will see Hospitals, um, and they're already doing it. Hospitals are, are, have some very powerful lobbyists. Hospital organizations have some very powerful lobbyists, and they're already in Washington, and they're already talking about why Medicare for All won't work for the hospitals because a lot of hospitals will have to close. They won't be able to sustain um, uh, the, 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 they won't be able to keep their operation going because there won't be enough money. If we go to Medicare for all, hospitals are going to get reimbursed at the Medicare level. Okay, and I've explained this before, and I'll quickly do it again. Private insurance companies reimbursed at the highest levels of reimbursement to hospitals, doctors, and providers. The next level down from that is Medicare. Medicare reimburses about at cost or cost plus about 7 or 8 or 9 or 10%. And then below that is Medicaid, which actually they lose money on uh, when servicing. So, so. If you one of the reasons why hospitals can do Medicaid and do Medicare is because they make up the difference by what they charge uh, for for uh, to the to the insurance carriers for uh, the health insurance contracts. Each carrier negotiates a contract and a rate. All right, 
Uh, some are, you know, some are Medicare plus 170 percent, Medicare plus 80 percent. It just depends on the carrier, the market, and where you're at. If you're in a in a rural community like um, Southern Illinois, where you've got one or two hospitals that control the marketplace, they're not going to be giving deep discounts. If you're in a in a metropolitan area. Uh, like Denver or Chicago or whatever the case may be where there's competition, it's a different deal. But, okay, back to my point, when we talk about this this Medicare for all, one of the reasons why the hospitals are going to be and are strongly opposed to it, along with these public employee unions, which are opposed to it for a different reason, um, is that they're going to lose a ton of money. They're not going to be able to sustain uh, their operation on a Medicare reimbursement level. It simply won't work, ladies and gentlemen. But it is interesting, isn't it? Uh, Public employee unions, not exactly um, fans of conservatism uh, uh, or or what you would call um, right-wing policies. And lo and behold, they're on the same page as the Heritage Foundation because uh, they said it would raise costs and lead to rationing. Isn't that interesting? Well, again, on this Medicare for All topic, people, keep these things in mind. And you know, when you attend these town halls, when you have a chance to ask these candidates the questions, you need to ask them. You need to ask them, um, tell me, you know, you're for this? If it's your congressman, okay, or it's a senator, you know, it may not be a, a a, a, a presidential candidate, you would get an opportunity to ask that question too. But you certainly can ask your local legislator, you know, are you for this? And if you're for it, then ask the next question. How are we going to pay for this? We're in, we're in debt in this country now. At the, what is it? $22 trillion? It's, is that the last number that I saw? Somewhere around there? Um, we have no, no idea how we're going to... There, there's nobody talking about paying that off. There's nobody talking about paying down the national debt. We just keep adding to it. Okay, so you know where where are we going to get thirty two point six trillion or or the lower estimate twenty three trillion to pay for this? Well, I gave you all the tax numbers and I told you, um, you know what it's going to look like. And it and and as I said before, this myth about it's going to be paid for by the wealthy or Wall Street is just that it's a myth. It's going to be paid for by the middle class of this country. That's who's going to pay for it. So. That's the end of it today. Uh, I just want to make sure everybody understands what's going on with this discussion and understands what we need to do as a country in terms of responding to it. And if it's a decision we make, then we need to be able to live with what's going to cost. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish together as fools. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back with another show next week. Goodbye, America.